Welcome back, one and all, to Into the Night, a Moon Knight podcast. Coming to you, sort of live, with episode 37, with one of your hosts, Connor. And I'm Ray. And uh, for this episode, we are looking at a classic run, which is the Hulk magazine, volume 1, issue 13. And for our modern run, we're going to continue on with Charlie Houston's volume 5, number 4, which is part 4 of The Bottom. Uh, that plus a whole heap of news, so sit back, relax, and get your conchu on. Yes, thank you for joining us once again. We are back from reviewing all those wonderful modern runs and the Damnation reviews, and just having had so little time check back in on the classics <laughs> as we uh, hit the Hulk magazine run and the you know, beloved, life-changing Houston run, as some probably wouldn't call it, but yeah, it's an exciting week. But before we crack onto all that Moon Knight goodness, Ray, how have you been? What's been going on? Hey, Connor, how are you? Um, yeah, been been pretty good. Um, quite happy this week. My footy team, the Tigers, won, so um, I, uh, I was posting that. Uh, all my joy on Facebook there, so off to a good start to the season. Uh, yeah, just reading, you know, just reading a lot of comics in between a lot of work, just at work. Um, so nothing too special. Um, caught up with a friend for a uh, for his birthday last night, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, how about yourself, Connor? What have you been up to? Uh, nothing that social at all. Um... <laughs> Go the Tigers. They've uh, kicked yeah, yeah. actually one of my favourite uh, Storm's butts, so <laughs> there you have it. Uh, but yeah, no, I've basically just been lying around reading some comics. Most importantly, uh, Black Bolt, the uh, wonderful oh, yeah. Chris, uh, Talon and Armin and Christian Ward series ended this week, which uh, gave me some some uh, very, very strong feelings. Right. Does it really... Such a great run. Yeah. Does it wrap up really well? Does it close it out? Yeah. As best it can in, like, obviously, the ongoing story of the Marvel Universe. But, yeah, just a really happy, satisfying ending to an incredible sci-fi run. And uh, catching up on old Moon Knight while I wasn't here for the final issue of the Crazy Runs in the Family Run, which I thought was absolutely wonderful. Mm -hmm. I think uh, really ties together the whole run with the rest of the Moon Knight mythos. Yes. And it's going to be very different when we uh, end up tackling 190... Four, I think. Yeah, a new story arc, which would yeah. be pretty pretty exciting, and uh, some Becky Cloonan covers, which oh, yeah, yeah, we've already seen a couple of them. They look pretty pretty damn well, pretty damn I hope good. She gets um the interiors sometime. Mm. Yeah, she's really, you I know, really, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, just amazing. Done plenty of her own share of supernatural work as well. Yes, right. There's a as in the the damnation stuff because there's plenty of that going around still as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah. No, I mean she's um, a lot of her creator own stuff is a uh, definitely supernatural Scrooge. Uh, oh, sorry, Clunan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, she's uh, worked even with uh, Brian Wood before, who's um, tackled oh, okay. Moonlight before as well. Yes, on some of his own series. Yeah, that should be good. Um, and uh, I noticed a couple of comments in our Facebook um, Moonlight group about Ty Templeton coming on board as a, the artist what are your what are your thoughts on Ty Templeton I, I can't say I know I know the art um, all that well uh, but some people he, seem to like it some people seem to not really like it 
What's your take? He's he's a very big. He was a very big. Um, still is, I suppose, Batman artist. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be interesting to see him because he does have some really. He has really sort of clean lines. Like okay. he's you know he's very good at jumping between all manner of you know great all ages run and then doing some of the darker Batman stuff. But it'll be interesting to see how his sort of yeah cleanest style ma- matches with. Bemis is sort of really wacky out there writing. Like, he did an issue of um, the Mother Panic Batman special recently, which oh, okay. was a much, like, edgier look at his writing, with it, even a character dressed in all white. So I think oh. I think it'll definitely uh, give Moon Knight a fair crack, and I don't think it'll disappoint, but we'll have to see how how it compares coming straight off Bemis. Bemis is a art which was just, you know, the perfect match for someone like mm. Bemis. Wait, did I say Bemis' is Yeah, yeah I think, yeah, I think yeah. you meant Burroughs, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Burroughs, which was a perfect match with Bemis' writing, just complemented itself so perfectly. Mm. And the, um, I guess, the new arc and what the, the story entails will be quite exciting as well. Again, it seems to be a uh, an exploration into the origin of Mark Spector, this time looking at his childhood, I guess, and how Conchu affects... Uh, affected his childhood back then, which we we kind of saw in the Lemire run. Um, but yeah, what what do you what do you reckon? Um, looking at the origin, kind of even further back for Mark Spector. Come, mate, uh, <laughs> he has some strong words on uh, the run. I think he's like me, very defensive of the uh, pretty new take of Lemire's mm-hmm. run. I really like that origin story. Do not step on that button. Uh, I think, yeah, actually, the classic issues we're reviewing this week are really, um, you know, focused on the past, actually, you know, we basically have two different types of origins to cover, and I think Lemire's is probably my favourite out of all the origins, so it's Mm -hmm. interesting to see just how much he changes, and just how much, especially since he definitely seems to be focusing on his life as a young child, which I guess we probably haven't seen the most as Lemire sort of painted him as a, you know just a young suburban kid having yeah. to deal with, um, you know, uh, mental health issues. Yeah. And he's, uh, Bemis yeah, no. is not afraid to change things up, I guess. With oh, no. Also. So um, <laughs> this will be very interesting. Again, I, I think he'll get a lot of, um, oh, I think there'll be a lot of feedback, I guess, on, on, on oh, 194 yeah. and, and how Moonies and Loonies uh, see the new story and the new direction, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it as well. And anything new, um, anything that can be added on to the Moon Knight canon is pretty cool, I think. Um, which actually also reminds me, Connor, um, a, a bit of news, kind of in general. Uh, Marvel are now going to number their comics, uh, have a dual numbering system there. What, what do you reckon um, with that, with having their legacy number as well as? You know, their usual starting from scratch, like one, two, three, four. Yeah, I think it really works at um, sort of giving the best of both worlds. Like, I don't at all give a shit about the numbering, you know, mm. whether I'm reading 193 or issue six. Like, yeah, I don't really care. And I think the legacy numbering was, I think, mostly for collectors, yeah. possibly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how people react to that as well, knowing that they'll have their legacy numbering still, but still juxtaposed against it. issue six. But, you know, I think issue, issue one's just sell so much better than exactly. 188. So, yeah, and it'll be good to see, you know, runs given support just because they don't have to suffer being written in the hundreds. Yeah, and, and I think it's a, you know, I think it's a long time coming, this move, because as you say, look, there are marketing implications for the numbering, plus there are also... 
um, implications for collectors as well. And I don't see a problem with with having both numbers on there. I think that's fine. I think uh, um, a little bit of the gripe has come from fans because I think they've got some of the legacy numberings like wrong. Like, like I think Moon Knight, there, there's some contention yeah. as to whether it was 188, which we which we kicked off with the legacy um, series. So I guess that's that's kind of um, probably rubbed up the wrong way for some collectors who want to get you know precise numberings and stuff. But um, look, yeah, I don't see there's any problem. I think one of the loonies mentioned on in our group as well. It's um, you can kind of take the you know number one two three four whatever as a um, almost as like a, like an arc number, so almost like a subset of the you know the greater number whatever it is one eighty eight one eighty nine. Um, yeah, I mean like yourself as well. I'm I'm not too fussed with the numbers myself. I think this is a good compromise. And um, look, you know fans have been screaming for it one way or the other, and look, now we've got both, so <laughs> it should appease everyone. Um, you know, but there might be a faction of fans out there that like will just not like it as as well. So I guess you can never please anyone. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's totally fine. Yeah, I mean, people always be unhappy with it. No way, like even as yeah. a compromise, there's yeah. no way to please anyone. But I hope it does well for them. Well, I hope we'll they see. stick. I hope they stick with it. Like I hope it's not going to be yeah. like this, and then they'll go back to like one like a singular way every of six months. Yeah. So um, let's hope they stick with it. Um, okay, Connor, well, besides Black Bolt, Connor, any other things that you've been reading lately as well? Uh, let me... I have uh, been keeping up um, with... got the Lockjaw comic I've been reading because I like big dogs. They're cute. <laughs> um, I think the young animal one has been kept up really fantastic. I think that's my favourite thing um, DC are doing. Once again, Ty mm-hmm. Thompson did the Mother Panic issue, so quick call back there but yeah I think that's just such a crazy imaginative run I can totally see even um, nice. Bemis doing something something in that line because I think that line totally appeals to his uh, let's just say crazier sensibilities um, <laughs> that's cool yeah it's, yeah it's been it's been some pretty great weeks um, for comics in general I mm-hmm. guess like there's just so much good stuff happening um I love what Valiant doing. We've got another issue of uh, Bloodshot next week. We had the oh, yes. Isis Damnation issue. That's this right. Week, yeah. Which is crazy if you check that out or haven't. Yeah. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I am. Um, I've actually. I haven't caught up with any of the previous weeks or the latest week's um, comics. So I've got to pick them up this coming week with the, with this week's batch. So uh, I'm looking forward to Iron Fist. I think that'll be great. And. Um, and as loonies who have been listening to us know, we are we are part of a damnation crossover of comic book reviews, and and that Iron Fist um, issue seventy nine, I think, will be taken up by uh, the Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast. So, so be sure to check them out as well. Um, they've been doing some good stuff over there, all to do with Danny Rand and and uh, and the Iron Fist. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it looked like a good week, Connor. Um, I'm just looking forward to to getting the stuff. Um, I've been. <laughs> Uh, while whilst I haven't had like all the latest issues come my way this week, I I've delved back and um, and being impressed with Scarlet Spider, I've actually gone back to a few of uh, Peter David's old old stories, uh, and so I'm I'm doing a reread from the beginning of um, of actually Wolverine, the uh, that uh, I think it's volume two of Wolverine, um, and there was a run there uh, the. The Gehenna Stone affair, and it was a six-parter, 
And uh, I think it was from issues 11 to 16 of Wolverine, written by Peter David. Um, John Buscema was the artist, but inked by Bill uh, Sinkovich. So, oh. Sinkovich, sorry. Yeah, so that was um, really cool to see. I remember when I, when I was reading it... Um, when I was a lot younger, back in the nineties, uh, not being too keen on on the art, but I guess uh, <laughs> the tastes have matured now, and I was really, yeah, really digging it. And uh, and Peter David's story, again, I guess it just reaffirms how he's probably one of my favourite writers. I think he's um, really easy to read. It was a really fun romp. Um, so yeah, reading a bit of old Wolverine, uh, Connor as well. I think on another. Um, Facebook group you posted up uh, from the Serious Issues Facebook group you posted up this thing about cats which was pretty funny <laughs> uh, and so what I thought I thought I'd do a bit of a read of, uh, of Thundercats so I'm, I'm actually going through oh. Thundercats yeah yeah uh, reading the original um, release from Star Comics uh, I think that they were part of Marvel Comics back in the 80s um, very uh, uh, I think it's obviously for a younger audience um uh, who was a Jim Mooney was on art and um, David Michelini was was a writer with Jim Shooter as editor, uh, but but very catered towards you know we have a TV show this is really closely based on it so um, <laughs> yeah, just a lot of fun like it's a twenty four issue run um, um, up to about I don't know issue six or something and it, it just yeah just a bit of fun so yeah doing a lot of classic reads at the moment um, but yeah it's a uh, it's all, all, you know, whilst waiting for more Moon Knight issues, I guess, Connor. <laughs> and uh, and uh, having said that, I guess um, we probably head into some of the news. Yeah, all right. Yeah, well, you know, once again, we hit with another week of sort of Moon Knight, but yeah. just everyone kind of getting his uh, name in as we head to, uh, yeah. I suppose, the biggest thing in comics, Infinity War, mm, soon. There's a lot course. of changes happening. Yeah. Um, you, you're obviously excited. Obviously excited oh, for yeah. that, Connor. Massively. Yeah, no. I still can't believe it's the end of the month. I know, especially so soon after Black Panther. Yeah, it, it hasn't hit me yet how big a, a bigger thing this thing is. You know, after ten years or so of of um, MCU films, uh, we, we kind of get we get the culmination of it finally. So yeah, it, oh, I'm sure it'll hit me when when the opening credits start. But uh, <laughs> looking forward to it as well. Um, yeah, so with, um, oh, look, out of these of these five points of news, kind of, I reckon number three is probably the the, the funnest one. Um, yeah. But look, I'm going to, I'll just start off, look, I, to be honest as well, kind of, I haven't really read all through the articles here, but <laughs> I just did a search. Um, uh, the first bit of news we have um, is from digitalspy.com, and it's basically uh, them saying seven TV shows which were stuck in development hell. Uh, and one of them obviously was um, was connected to Moon Knight. He was mentioned um, and promised, I think it was, and we mentioned it before, Connor, during the Blade TV series. I think there were talks of, of Moon Knight being introduced Yeah, dropping that. in the second season that mm. never um, dropped. Yeah, but um, I guess that, uh, that show didn't go too well anyway. Um, and... Yeah, so we've had the talks as well of Stephen Esther Knight being interested to develop a Netflix um, TV show for Moon Knight. So um, I guess he's still on the radar uh, for being produced on TV, but nothing yet um, really 
concrete. Let's hope that changes very soon. Um, and then, you know, there are a few others here kind of, which um, I don't know, just going through some of them, ones that piqued my interest were um, were Night Thrasher. I thought he would have been pretty cool to do a, a show. Very, uh, like a very C-list character, but um, he'd be quite interesting. And uh, Lock and Key the comics, I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's um, happening. There's currently a pilot oh. being ordered and made for... Um, oh, right. Hulu, I think, is the oh, yes. service that'll be hosting it, the, who did the uh, Runaways adaptation. So that's... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually seems to be doing something again. Oh, okay. Oh, great. Well, that's... Uh, I've only read the first volume, I think, but that's been a great, great show. Um, oh, great um, comic comic book series. Um, yeah, and look, there are a few others here as well. Uh, the Wild Wild West, not too interested in. Quantum Leap would be pretty cool. I think that would be a, a nice reboot. And, of course, there's a Star Wars Underworld... Um, <laughs> some, uh, I guess it was a TV show that they never decided to get on board. But Star Wars has have a lot of exposure anyway, so I guess for every every one that they don't make, like, there's always like another two that they've got, you know, coming out. Um, yeah, what's uh, how about the next article there, Connor? The next article um, is. Uh... James Gunn discussing Soulstone theories and Guardians of the Galaxy with the Infinity once once again coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, if you don't exist inside many nerd Facebook groups, I can assure you that most things being talked about right now mm-hmm. is just how many things are the Soulstone. Yes, because it's the one thing um, uh, we one of the only Infinity gems we don't know about in the MCU. So you better believe. There's new posts every day about what the uh, the theories are. What, what do you and reckon? where it is? Yeah, where do you reckon it is, Connor? Um, I probably sit in the camp that it's probably in um, Wakanda or something. Yeah, that that's one of the big um, the big theories. I reckon I think the um, the vibranium meteorite that crashed in Wakanda all those you know thousands of I don't know years ago. They reckon that there's a soul stone in there, which is what's kind of powered the vibrate. Which is that's pretty cool. I um I read somewhere or heard you know there's so many theories. I heard that Thanos probably already has it. Um, I mean that could be the most boring, straightforward <laughs> solution to it. Um, yeah, actually no, actually I I side with you now. I think I think that'd be cool if it's in Wakanda. Um, that would be that'd be pretty cool. But I was I was going down the path of of Thanos just already having it and he's trying to get the other ones so I mean because he's he's already quite powerful so he's got to have you know unless of course he's just a naturally um powerful being I think it would make sense as well that he actually has one at least already um and that kind of drives him on to get the others I hope uh I don't think as as good as it would be I don't think we're uh somewhat any to believe that uh Moon Knight has the soul stone. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. I, I think that would. Pre- I think that would be pretty cool that he just pops up, unannounced, out of nowhere, um, in the MCU, and he has the soul stone. That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah. No. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if that will that will happen. But we can only hope. Um, look, I might just jump that third one. I'll go to uh, our fourth bit of news, which is. Pretty quick, and I thought this was pretty funny. Look, it's, it's long since passed. It was April Fool's Day, um, 1st of April, and this was from the Foreign Policy website, 
And uh, it was actually really cool. They had a a full-on, like, serious article on uh, on foreign policy and assessing prospects for new strategic challenges and opportunities. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Um, so someone must be a fan of, of the MCU over there. Um, but they did this whole article, um, you know, talking about, um, I guess... Uh, you know, a lot of it to do with the the Civil War movie um, between Iron Man and Captain America. Um, the 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 very small bit of uh, mention of Moon Knight came from you know potential new members of the Avengers. Um, also, it goes through uh, it goes through the relationship between Shield and Hydra. Um, yeah, and uh, and even the Lagos incident, uh, which again we saw in Civil War, uh, is really well written. It was really it was a fun read, I thought, um, and looked very very loosely very loosely tied to to Moon Knight. But look, he gets a mention in there as uh, alongside uh, Spectrum, North Star, Brother Voodoo, um, Paul Wolfowitz. I don't know who that is, and Quasar. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a fun read, but um, very much tongue in cheek. Um, oh yes, indeed. Um, I know we have a few April Fools trying to get us yeah. on a new Moon Knight oh, show. Yeah, that was just uh, so obvious. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. Um, there uh, with those classic uh, comic sites hitting those, you know, best comics of a month or so, you know, of April or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those are some great fun articles to read, and we got one from the Vulture yeah. talking about the eight best comics in April, and no. Moon Knight isn't there, sadly. Vampire Ironica is. Yes. The old uh, Moon Knight alumni there, Greg Smallwood with his sister, Meg Smallwood. Uh, yeah, that was a really good issue. I mean, look, we did we did mention it before, I think, when it did come out. We had a bit of a discussion on it. Uh, yeah, well-deserved, I say. Um, there are a few others here, Connor, that I'm not too sure on. I'm not sure if you know any of them as well. Dry Country. Um, well, I've stars. read Dry Country. Oh, that really? A... Dry yeah. County, sorry. Yeah. Is it... Um, is is it really good? Is it a standout? Or? Uh, I don't think so. It's a very pretty book. It's okay. getting a lot of love, so, I mean, I guess don't take my word for yeah. much, maybe. Uh, yeah, I didn't enjoy it, but it's getting a lot of love. But there are some fantastic graphic novels coming out. Ah, seem okay. to be quite heavy and wonderful, which I think I might even put on my radar. Oh, fantastic. And I see there's one here from DC's Young Animal as well, Eternity Girl. You're, you're in, you're oh, yes. Reading, yeah, uh, I'm in love with that first issue, actually. I oh, think okay. that is very, very, very good. Okay. And I can't wait for the second issue, which is, like, next week, I think. Excellent. So, um, amongst some quality books there, um, Vampire Ronica. So, uh, again, if you're a big fan of Moon Knight, and uh, better still, if you're a big fan of Greg Smallwood, you can't go wrong with Vampire Ronica. It's been getting really good rave reviews. Uh, my first venture into Archie Comics, and yeah, I've got to say I'm pretty um, pretty invested into it already. Like just issue one, um, yeah, yeah. Because I look, I know nothing of, of Archie, but but you know the main characters, and it, it's more like a um, seems to be more like a like a Buffy kind of almost even Angel version because she, like she's a vampire as well, but she hunts. It's like Blade, basically, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, very very beautiful book. So. That's good. Um, also, as well, just rounding off our bit of news for this week. Uh, yeah, Connor, so I wanted your thoughts on this as well. This was a cool um, article from movies.mixdown.com. Uh, John Boyega from Star Wars, uh, he might be joining 
the MCU, which is very exciting. I I would love to see him in there. I think he's been great as um, as Finn in Star Wars. Um, and they've got a couple of suggestions, a few suggestions here, Connor. So, um, yeah, what what are your thoughts here? Um, I think one of the uh, the big ones I saw is uh, I I guess it's been making the round, but uh, that uh, great fan artist Boss Logic did a cool shot of a. Uh, John Boyega is a blade type character, or is ah, blade, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. just sort of settled. I would totally love him. I think um, there was talks about you know getting him in a you know this possibility of blade even hitting an Agents of Shield type show. Oh right, That'd be so cool. that would fit great with the current um, Robbie Reyes Ghost Rider as well. Yeah, I mean, a youngish actor like John Boyega leading the charge. I think it would just be lots of fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen that on Twitter as well of people saying, you know, who do you reckon he'd be good at? And uh, yeah, Blade would be pretty cool too. Um, if you look at the conventional, say like, um, you know, just like for like um, Marvel characters that are African American, say who who would who he who would he be? Um, a lot of the the top tier ones, I think, have already been accounted for. Like obviously Luke Cage um, and Falcon. And uh, of course, Black Panther as well. But um, just looking at the list here as well, they they suggest Moon Knight, which I think would be pretty cool. Um, something a bit different. What I really would like to see is him as uh, as Wonder Man. I think that would be um, that'd be awesome. I do like like Wonder Man, and uh, you know, it would be interesting to see him because he's a is an actor, like a film actor from Hollywood. Oh yeah. Um, but he's also you know, meant to be a superhero, and he's quite heavily powered. Um, so, yeah, from this article, sorry, I'm jumping here, loonies. Um, so let me go back. Um, the Light for Light characters, uh, Blade, obviously, is uh, is an obvious choice. Um, then you'd have, I guess, you'd have Jericho Drum would be would be one, um, potentially tied in with um, Doctor Strange. Um, and then... Oh, gosh, even Bill Foster's already taken. So he's already going to appear in the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie coming out this year. Um, I don't know. Can, can you think of any other... There's Night Thrasher. <laughs> I mean, we could have Night Thrasher <laughs> as well. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but, anyway, the article goes on to, I guess, you know, broadening your, your perspective or ideas of, of who we could play. And uh, so the non-conventional ones of, say, like Moon Knight... Um, we can see John Boyega playing um, him as Mark Spector, which would be pretty cool. Uh, the article also says Wonder Man, Captain Britain, which is pretty cool, uh, Patriot, and actually Blue Marvel, and he would be he would be pretty good, although probably a bit young for Blue Marvel, I'd think. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, the discussion of Moon Knight there, I don't know. I find John Boyega too lovable to Yeah. Be. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, Car- I love him as Simon Williams, actually. Yeah, Simon. I mean, I reckon he'd be good. It'd be great. Yeah, but yeah, you Moon Knight. You're right. I mean, I don't immediately see him as Moon Knight, and and not just because you know um, he's African American, or, or he's he's not actually he's uh, he's British, isn't he? He's uh, as it says. So that's why I think they suggested Captain Britain because he's a uh, he's British. You know, he could lose a pesky American accent. <laughs> Oh, actually, how about Bishop? Bishop will be pretty cool as well, Indigenous. Although I'd be happy to see an an Australian play Mm. by Bishop. That would be pretty cool. But anyway, yeah, that's an interesting article. So you'd, um, who do you reckon, Connor? You'd reckon you'd like to see him as Blade? Yeah, Blade or Sam Williams or just, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, um, 
someone fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, because his personality is quite, um, quite mm. bubbly, right? That's true. Yeah. Great uh, screen presence. Sorry? Just a great screen presence in general. Yeah, he is, he is. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put mine down for Wonder Man, I think. I think it would be pretty good. Um, pretty good for that. Alrighty, well, um, those are the the news articles. Again, very loosely connected to Moon Knight, but, you know, um, there is mention here and there. <laughs> um, right. Well, uh, Connor, I think it's probably time we better get moving on to our first classic run. So why don't we go over the moon? Awesome. Yes, starting off with our classic review of The Hulk, Volume 1, Issue 13, with lovely narrator from the Capes and Lunatic podcast, which we are... Joined together at the Hit With Fire, the collective group of podcasts. Mm, yeah. Podcasts that we have uh, sort of joined with to promote each other and just a bunch of great other superhero podcasts to get your, uh, your ears hooked into. Yeah. Mm. Well, can I just also say as well, Connor, with the Capes and Lunatic, Lunatics podcast, what they've also done is uh, they've got me onto, um, onto Quasar. So I'm actually reading a bit of Quasar oh, I as well. Oh, love Quasar. Yeah, he's which he's, version? Uh, I've, nah. I've started th- at the very beginning again. <laughs> so <laughs> Mark Grunewald's um, story. Um, so it's uh, Wendell Vaughan. And uh, anyway, Capes and Lunatics podcast, one of their um, channels, so to speak, because they've got a few different podcasts. Um, is that they're reviewing Quasar from from issue one as well? So that's a lot of fun, Loonies. If you do like the cosmic. Um, I highly recommend uh, checking out the Capes and Lunatics for that. Um, yeah, so sorry, Connor, I didn't want to... Um... No, no, not at all. Awesome, yeah. Um, I suppose there's not much more to say. We will uh, leave it to Phil to, I guess, introduce himself and uh, slam out the bare bones for a new issue of the Hulk magazine. So take it away, Phil. Hey everyone, Phil Perch here for the Capes and Lunatics podcast again. Uh, this time I'm good doing the bare bones uh, review for The Hulk, Volume 1, Issue 13, uh, the Moon Knight backup story, The Big Black Male. Uh, released February 1979, writer Doug Mounch, uh, artist Bill Sinkovich, uh, color Steve Olaf, and editor Rick Marshall. Two mysterious figures profile the characteristics and inner secrets of one, Moon Knight. Beginning with the weaponry Moon Knight has at his disposal, the two figures then continue to analyze Moon Knight's secret identities and his close companions. The study of our White Knight is not unlike that of Conquer Lord previously, but it is proven that the vulgar oaf is not behind this caper, but rather two men named Smelt and Lupinar. As they continue their studies, we see Stephen Grant and Marlene at Grant Mansion preparing the money intended to exchange for the Horus statue, which Moon Knight has sought after over the last few issues. Grant changes clothes and into Jake Lockley as he leaves Marlene, he heads towards the city to seek out the word on the street of any suspicious activity involving foreigners and large sums of money. It's in Gina's diner that Lockley finds Crawley, and it is Crawley an unsavory-looking yet articulate fellow 
who makes it be known to Lockley that a truck hijacking has been planned by some out-of-town criminals. Lockley thanks Crowley, then departs to prepare his rendezvous with LaRoe's men for the exchange of money for the Horus statue. Moon Knight arrives at the drop, a deserted warehouse on Route 32 near the Hudson River, on the dot, and he encounters a group of armed men with the Horus statue. They demand the cash, and Moon Knight hands it over. In true criminal style, they then try to keep both the cash and the Horus statue, but Moon Knight begins a different sort of negotiation, a negotiation involving his fists and kicks. He manages to subdue all the armed men amidst a hail of bullets and bodies, and Moon Knight leaves unscathed with the Horus statue. Moon Knight chooses to leave the cash, however, and the ploy to leave it in order to trail the criminals to their next exploits appears to work. Though Moon Knight and Frenchie do not know what the criminals plan to buy or to gain from hijacking the truck, they follow the convoy of cars as they leave the warehouse. Our heroes are indeed led towards a huge truck on the highway, and Moon Knight jumps from the mooncopter just as the convoy forced the truck to come to a halt. The hijackers are met with a surprise load of armed guards inside the truck as they attempt to steal the goods inside. Before any real bloodshed occurs, the guards are shot down strategically by the now uncostumed Moon Knight. It's Mark Spector, and he cunningly shoots the guards enough to knock them out, not kill them, as he aims for all their bulletproof vests. He pretends to be employed by Laroe, the very same employer of the terrorists, and he assists them in stealing the cargo. To Mark's surprise, it's plutonium, which the terrorists have obtained, and it's part of their plan to hold New York City for ransom, lest the city be destroyed by nuclear detonation. To add more of complexity to the matter, the two mysterious figures, Lupinar and his assistant Smelt, also have a vested interest in not only Moon Knight, but also in the truck hijacking. Lupinar, a fierce-looking, swashbuckling mastermind, sends someone dressed as Moon Knight to stop the hijacking, confront the terrorists, but also to flush out the rotten apple, which in this case is Mark Spector. Confused at the sight of the Moon Knight imposter, and wary that his cover will soon be blown, Mark is left in quite the pickle. The issue ends with Lupinar almost wishing that his Moon Knight imposter will fail as he yearns to confront and defeat Mark Spector, aka the Moon Knight, face to face. Yes. Thank you so much, Phil. That was a, a great narration there of um, the backup story to the Hulk magazine, Volume 1, Issue 13. Uh, Connor, yeah, wh- what, did you, what did you think of this issue? This was, um, there was a bit, of, uh, a bit of familiarity, but there's also something new, I guess. Yeah, so this is actually um, my first time tackling these older issues. I guess I always kind of just ignore them not being in the immediate uh, merch uh, canon. So, I think diving into this, I was uh, pleasantly surprised with the just, you know, how enjoyable it was. You know, it was very classic. Um, you know, nowhere near the inc- like the incredibly different ways uh, Munch would take the character throughout his 30 issue, well, more like 50 issues of stories. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was just sort of a, a nice, fun, simple story of a you know, terrorists and foiling plots, almost like more of a spy story. Yeah. Which was also just kind of nice. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot of siege planted here that would further be perfect in the run, which is also fun to look back at. 
Yeah, looking at um, looking back at a lot of uh, Munch's Munch's um, early runs, uh, I think yeah, he's definitely still still trying to find his voice. Um, there are a lot of some issues that we've seen. I think prior to this, so like issues I don't know, ten, eleven, twelve, um, can tend to be uh, bogged down with a lot of a lot of weaving and ducking and, uh, you know, red herrings here and there and um, extra characters that you really have to keep track of. So sometimes he does get away and and sometimes he tries to put too much in the stories. But overall, I thought this issue, I thought it was great. I think it was, um, I'm enjoying it. And I don't know whether it's reading, because reading more and more of his 70s run. But um, no, really, really enjoying it. Um, and what I did kind of see, though, um, was that... There is a running theme. Um, like he even mentions it here with Conquer Lord, but we see a similar format of two villains uh, looking at, I guess, a, a dossier or, or a, um, a profiling of, of Moon Knight, and uh, we actually see that later on as well in the Houston run. So it, it, it's a common thread that runs through a lot of the Moon Knight series. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was quite enjoyable. And I thought the art was great as well. So. Um, how about we kick off with one of your points, Connor, as one of the uh, one of my points. points. I suppose I'll leave uh, I'll leave directly from there. Mm-hmm. That it's the art actually is um, very interesting. It's a very different kind of a Sinkevich, I suppose. It's you know Sinkevich, you almost really really defined figures, not quite yeah. the um, you know real stylized craziness that and you know in depth beauty that Sinkovich would eventually be uh, acclaimed for later on with stuff like New Mutants, New Mutants, Moon Knight, and uh, his uh, stuff over at DC as well. So yeah, actually, I thought that, I thought this whole magazine was pretty well put together, just flicking through the Hulk story mm. as well. This must have been a different kind of paper stock, because yes. you know reading this digitally, as we had to, um, <coughs> just seeing the um, the the way the uh, how different. And sort of clearer and better ink these are compared yeah. to the regular, um, like newsprint paper we've seen before. And I just thought it gave a just such a really well defined look at this story. Mm. It, good, good point. I was gonna um, raise that as well, but I think you might be onto something there, kind of with the paper stock as well. It, it certainly is a very different look with um, Sinkovich's art. And I was wondering whether, since it was for the Hulk magazine whether editorial had, uh, or the editors had um, requested from Bill Sienkiewicz to, to draw, I don't know, to draw something in a slightly different style. I don't know, it just seems to have a different style of art compared to a typical a typical comic book. And that may very well be, as you mentioned as well, the, um, the inks and the colouring that is employed on it. Uh, and yeah. and as you say as well, that again in turn might have something to do with how that falls onto the paper. So, uh, but it has a very distinct, distinctly different style. I think. Uh, sorry. Oh no, you finish. Oh, just to say, it's it's still a very young Bill Sienkiewicz, so his his um, style will develop over the years, as we'll see. But um, it's still very impressive. But yeah, just very very non Sienkiewicz as we have come to to know him. Yeah, I think it's almost the best comparison would almost be pulpy mm. or pinup art from the sixties and seventies. Yeah, like it's just it's just such a different uh, style of character. You know, really 
focused on um uh, what's the word dun, dun, dun. like autonomy mm-hmm. um not autonomy anatomy, anatomy that's the word yeah uh and just you know really just clear characters yes. and it just the way it works just sort of very much stands out from the rest before it goes super stylized but yeah. I think it works sort of well into the almost the less super heroic more spy nature of the story yeah and I think if you I mean adding on to what you're saying Connor as well there's one panel I'm looking at here uh, it's page 41 of the digital version that we have and there's a shot here of um, you're talking about anatomy there's a shot here of Mark Spector changing and uh, so you get his, you know, marble abs and him <laughs> changing his shirt. But if you look at the colouring and the inking on that, it's just, uh, to me, it's not something that you usually see in a comic book. It seems it's a lot more, um, I don't even know what you describe it. It's a lot more, um, I guess, refined. I mean, it's got the, it's got the, the tones of the skin colour and it's got the secondary lighting hitting his body as well. So it actually... Um, I don't know. I think it goes beyond what you usually see in a in a coloured comic book. Um, that's my impression of it. Yeah, it, it almost seems pulled straight from the underground of comics at yeah. the time. You know, the yeah. kind of art that would, you know, be immortalised by um, publishers like Fanagraphics and mm. would be very you know t- uh, well taken from um, the likes of uh, Will Eisner. Right. And just yeah, it just seems something so you know unknown to Marvel comics that we've seen before as well yeah and um yeah i guess something we also never saw again yeah it was just a shame because this is um it is quite nice actually i'm I'm, i do find the art quite quite appealing uh and and again hats off has to be given to steve olaf on colors i think the colors really do um really do pop i'm just trying to think of it reminds me the medium also reminds me of um oh uh not crayon but it's um there's something to it like pastels or something that um mm. the way that the uh the colors are used and like i'm just looking on the red couch there's a gleam to it like the, there are white strokes there to make it kind of give it a bit more body um, but he does that steve olive does that for again if we go back to that anatomy anatomy of mark specter um the way it's colored it gives it a a, a bit more three dimensions to it than what you usually see in a comic book so yeah, and there's a lot of lighting here, I find, as well. Um, if you go flick through, he goes to Jake goes to Gina's diner. There's a, a, an uplighting there to Gina and Jake's face, uh, giving a mood. Then you look at the next page with smelt. There's that evil kind of green lighting um, shone from below as well to give him a sense of, um, of villainy. Um, so, yeah, very, um, very smart bit of colouring and shading here, I think. Yeah, I think definitely a big shout-out for me goes to um, The Colours of Well by Steve Olive. I think, um, which page? Uh, pages uh, probably about 48 mm-hmm. is probably, like, a real highlight of uh, yes. the action this issue from me. You know, um, yeah. Sinkovich giving it all to displaying the action in full force. Um, and then just the colour and giving the atmosphere a mood of the page, more so than even the art is. Yeah. Just really well done. I wonder also as well if this was time constraints. You know, possibly they had a lot longer to do something like this than they possibly would as well. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, Sinkovich became a master of actions he went on, but such a young artist like this, even in the first pages of Moon Knight 1, you know, it possibly wasn't working with the same 
amount of time here. Mm. Yeah, I believe that they probably had a lot more time to work this out because I think these issues and these magazines had a lot more pages to it, so they probably gave them a longer a longer deadline to do stuff. And uh, that page that you're talking about, Connor, as well, where he starts to fight the um, the goons, yet another horde of goons, um, I like the way that Steve Olaf uses the colour here because if you think about it, um, if, you know, Moon Knight is essentially, you know, jet and silver or black and white, uh, he's a very monochromatic hero um, and to add a bit of energy um, and uh, you know to make things pop in an action scene what Steve Olive do- has done here is that he uses a lot of the warm colours of your red and your yellows and your oranges when he's fighting them and uh, a healthy dose of um, of uh, what do you call them Connor just fonts of uh, sound effects and stuff um, that onomatopoeia yeah onomatopoeia just um, you know just filling the the, the panel so you do get a, sen- a lot of sense of movement. Again, here, that's more so from Sienkiewicz's art, but a lot has to do with the colour, the warm and hot colours to actually give this um, to give this action scene a bit of sizzle. But, yeah, it's um, really cool stuff. Um, look, one of the main aspects I thought, um, and to throw it out there, would be, I guess, the introduction of the new villains. So we have... A couple of new masterminds or um, conspirators uh, in this issue, and and they are in Smelt. I think one of the f- one of the best names so, as well in comics. Yeah. Uh, but he's the offsider to Lupinar the Wolf, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, looks to be the the big head honcho. And uh, so we're we're brought again. Uh, we're given again two two villains. Um, and I believe, as well, just as an aside, I think Lupinar was um, referenced in the Lemire run um, as the... Is that right, Connor? As the, um, you know, sp- Space Mark and... Yes, Lupinar was it the... It was um, Lupinar, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? So that was a very... I didn't even know he was a character, yeah. Yeah, so a very um, uh, obscure reference that Lemire has plucked, and uh, and we found it here, Loonies. It's in the uh, the Hulk magazine. But yeah, Lupinar was indeed a, a real character, a real villain back in the day. And uh, he's got a very wolfish look to him. Um, we don't know as yet whether he's a... Well, he has to be a, a mutant of some sort. He's got, like, a, a wolfish nose. He's got, like, long claws. He's very hairy. Uh, kind of the same ilk as um, Sabretooth and Wolverine. Uh, and uh, But he, he seems a lot more, I guess, a lot more dapper. He, he does enjoy his, um, his fencing or, or swashbuckling. And uh, his offsider, or his lackey smelt... Um, Pretty much looks like a generic, I don't know, generic blob of a of a uh, of a lackey. Um, but Connor, it just reminded me so much of Conquer Lord and uh, and is a weasel. His um his officer. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, poor weasel. So Doug Doug Munch uh, is kind of I guess recycled an idea again, um, and the way that they profile Mark. I thought was very similar to again to Conquer Lord. Um, well, they issues. even uh, reference him. He gets two different yeah. shout outs in this issue. <laughs> exactly. So, so no, not quite the love loss for one of the uh, best written villain uh, villains in Marvel <laughs> uh, canon. So you know, I think uh, credit where credits due. I think this was a uh, the best he could do with a Marvel editorial, obviously forcing his hand at giving away an incredible villain like uh, Conquer Lord too soon. Yeah. Yeah, true. Um, but it's good that he kind of references his own creation as well. I think that's good. And there's a bit of a wink to, you know, this is similar to 
what we've kind of done before, but um, Lupinar definitely looks a lot more dangerous than, say, Conquerlord, who just seemed to be, uh, for want of a better word, a little oafish in his um, <laughs> his schemes. Um, as yet, Connor, I don't know, we don't know the motives for Lupinar at the moment. Um, there's a whole thing with um, with the plutonium, which... And, and Laroe as well. I'm not sure how Lupinar fits into that. Have you any thoughts of of how this this web is has been woven? Uh, yeah. Look, honestly, I have zero clue, and I think it's kind of it's a bit overworried whether we're going to actually see Lupinar develop into something or be really thrown aside so quickly. Because, admittedly, I am getting really excited for the showdown next issue. I think mm. there's a lot of real. I like the um. I like the. In, in inherent character traits of someone like Lupinar, someone who's like almost honor bound and looking like worthy, looking for a challenge worthy of himself, mm-hmm. you know, respect amongst thieves and all that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, it just seems sort of very baseline, generic um, villain behavior for the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And I suppose we haven't really seen these guys ever make a return, so quite possibly they fizzle out with a. With little interest there. Yeah, yeah, it might be... Let's hope it's not a, another throwaway. I mean, although hindsight, we we do know that we don't really see Lupinar much again, but um, let's hope at least the confrontation next issue will be will be um, an exciting finale. Um, how about your next aspect there, Connor? I will jump straight to another thing with the creators with uh, discussing uh, Munch, Munch himself. Mm-hmm. His writing here is, uh, you know, really gaining the ropes of some comic writing. You know, leaving behind almost the the traits of his, um, you know, his, his 70s nature with his werewolf by night run mm-hmm. and just sort of evolving into something more. Because I did actually, you know, older comics can be kind of hard to read. And while this one wasn't the most, you know, immaculate story, I found this, like, really easy to read. Mm-hmm. You know, it was able to just focus on dialogue. It didn't have any annoying text box, like... Yeah. explaining what's happening on screen. It was just a very natural fit for Munch's writing, and we can even see some of his uh, fantastic poetic, um, you know, writing start to fit through that would make, you know, Moon Knight stand out more amongst its, uh, you know, its own exposition and the exposition of the time. I think uh, page 48 has some really fantastic uh, overarching dialogue about, you know, action and... Uh, you know the explanation to the characters so yeah i think obviously i'm not sure whether they maybe didn't have as much editorial oversight forcing their hand but i think this works really well on just the merits of a you know a comic writer like Monch sort of exploring what to do with his character just being able to write what he can so you know while not well i'll never quite you know credit this as something i want to reread compared to <laughs> You know, like the Defenders we've read before, oh, and even yes. yeah. some of the earlier Marvel magazines, you know, it just feels so much more natural and, you know, interesting to read. Yeah, I, I would agree as well. I think um, I think there are glimpses of what you see. Um, it's still a long way, I think, from uh, Munch's writing, uh, say, with the 1980 series where he writes it with um, Stained Glass Scarlet. <laughs> which had so much... I remember we covered that um, with Rebecca and there was so much um, poetry in, in how he wrote stuff, so much lyricism in how he, he told the story. There are glimpse of, glimpses of that here as well. But, yeah, he's starting to tighten up, um, I think, as well. And, and 
this is a really enjoyable. I I did enjoy this far more than I did uh, the last previous couple of issues as well. Um, it wasn't as um, the thread was was a lot more apparent. Um, it wasn't as convoluted as I think the first part of this whole arc, where there were just so many characters you had to kind of get your head around, and a lot of them worked for another person that worked for another person that you you had to kind of keep track of. So um, I think Munch is definitely tightening tightening up his writing here as well. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, I found it flow quite easily uh, and not deterred at all by, again, a thing of the times there were was a lot more scripted stuff, a lot more dialogue here than, than what you see in a lot of issues these days. Like you can go through some comic book issues these days in, you know, a matter of minutes because it's so so kind of like text um, <laughs> light. But uh, not to say that that's a, always a bad thing. That can be a good thing as well. There was a... Um, uh, what was it? Oh, there, oh no, that was the other way around. I was about to say there was a bloodshot issue recently, but that was um, no art. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was all black. Uh, so you know, and that was Lemire as well. So everyone's trying something a little different. Um, but yeah, I found this story flowed quite well, um, and yeah, and, and Munch actually, um, you know, does actually add a couple of slightly different twists, which are quite quite interesting. Um, and having said that, I would say that uh, the fourth uh, aspect of this issue um, and the second one for myself would be, uh, I guess, the new thread to this story. So what we had in the last previous issues was all about attaining um, or obtaining the Horus statuette, um, which we saw in the last couple of issues, Mark had traced it down to uh, Alphonse Leroux who worked for the Chilean embassy, and he had the horror statuette, and uh, and he struck a deal with Stephen Grant to sell it to him. Um, but Stephen Grant said, look, you know, I'll send my courier, which is Moon Knight, to collect it. And that's where we kind of start on this issue. And what I liked about it was that it kind of wrapped up that, that first arc of actually getting the horror statuette. So you actually see Moon Knight obtain it and, you know, fight a couple of thugs uh, around the middle, as you said, kind of around page 49, he kind of gets a horror statuette, and that kind of ends that. But then it organically leads to the next arc, which is um, the terrorists who so happen to, you know, ha- do the the handoff with um, the handover with Moon Knight for the horror statuette. They had this other little gig about um, hijacking a truck and stealing some stuff, and um, it's because of Crawley that Moon Knight uh, catches wind of this. And that kind of, you know, that kind of takes us to the next, the next um, chapter, I guess, in Moon Knight's adventures. And that's, um, I guess, what he's going to do with the plutonium, how he's going to um, stop these crooks from blackmailing New York City. And, you know, it's it, it kind of eased into the introduction of Smelt and Lupinar. So, um, yeah, I, um, I guess it ties in kind of with your, your um, aspect about Munch's storytelling. Um, I think it's. Um, I think it was a nice, effective way to kind of quickly end that arc and then move on to the next, um, you know, next mission, so to speak. Yeah, I think, I think the Horus thing was kind of like wrapped up real quickly and obviously never had much influence on Moon Knight again, I guess. Um, so yeah, but I think immediately it kind of jumps into these another very big story arc, but I think they do do that naturally enough that 
it isn't, you know, really jarring, and we have a nice setup of a big thread of, you know, the end of New York, and I really, I, I do really like Lupinar, so I think mm. it does well with that, and it kind of gets me more excited for the next issue. Yeah. Yeah. Lupinar's very much a thing of his time, isn't he? Like, the way he's mm. dressed, he's, uh, don't know whether he, well, he's a pirate or something, he does like his uh, scabbard, I think that's what you call it. And he's got a he's got a funky uh, frilly shirt and a and a cod piece as well. So he's um uh, I don't know. You don't see many of those um, running around these days. <laughs> um, yeah. So any uh, any before we before we rate this issue, Connor. Any um, any notes that you might want to raise? Um, yeah, I suppose I kind of want to talk about we talk about the origin again. This issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just. This issue uh, is very much, a, as it says, is a profile of Moon Knight, mm-hmm. as we uh, talk about him, and they go a bit into his history, so forgive me as I take a bit to pull that up. Yeah, no worries. But, yeah, it's it's Munch, I guess, trying to, again, trying to mould this history of Moon Knight. Uh, you see, he's done it a few times, uh, a retelling, and he's still trying, to, still trying to figure it out. I guess this is the... Um, this is one of the, the, uh, the earlier connections we have, Connor, with... Uh, an Egyptian connection to Moon Knight. Um, Munch hasn't yet come up with his origin of Bushman and uh, and Mark Spector and the plundering of, of um, one of the tombs in Egypt. That hasn't been that doesn't come up until about um, until 1980 in the the Moon Knight series. So Munch is still trying to figure out, you know, what kind of makes Moon Knight tick. And um, yeah, as you say, Connor, there are a, there's a retelling here again through through a slideshow of um, of Moon Knight's past. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, yeah, he sort of. Just it up. Yeah, it's interesting how he sort of tackles the idea of the identities here as well. Mm-hmm. You know, he has the main ones, but he talks about one he just throws aside. Yeah, oh, and how he talks about escaping the military, man, he could sort of hide into himself with these identities. Mm. So yeah, the uh, the whole identities thing came before, I guess. That that was one of the. Main and it talks things. about his um wealth as well, which was interesting. Yeah. Oh, with uh, about with Stephen Grant. Uh, yeah, the copper mines. That's how he got all his money. Copper mines. Oh right, oh, I, I missed that bit. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um. So and there's. Yeah, so there's a, a retelling of his origin here. It goes through again um, his encounter with uh, the werewolf, which yes, references... that was the thing I wanted. Yeah, yeah, the werewolf to bring by up night. the most, I guess. Mm. He speaks about um, the power from the moon as well. Is uh, mm. well asserted here. Yes, so despite the fact it would later be ignored. Yeah, exactly. So I, again, this is I think that's just the thing that that shows me that Munch is still kind of playing with what he wants to do with Moon Knight, whether he wants to make him a a wholly supernatural thing and, and have it been bitten by a werewolf, which is kind of a cool idea. But as you say, that that was dropped and never really spoken of um, for a long time after that. Um, but yeah, I, I, did, I did find that thing about his moon strength um, being pretty funny. And historic. Yeah, nothing would ever stick in this issue, but it's interesting to see the seeds of mm. origin planted here. Yeah. Um, other notes again. Uh, I think it's uh, a, a shout out to Crawley again. He um, again shows his worth to to Moon Knight or Jake Lockley 
by uh, by giving away some some information that um, leads Moon Knight towards the terrorists hijacking the the truck. So um, again, Crawley's a quite a valuable resource for Moon Knight, um, and yeah, uh, I think I think Munch is uh, really really enjoying uh, this character Crawley as well. I mean, there's even a mention of let me just um, it's a mention of one of Crawley's. Uh, you know, idiosyncrasies, which is um, to reuse his tea bag. Um, so <laughs> yeah, you can see Munch, you know, slowly forming his support characters as well, which is pretty cool. Um, well, the other the other one that I had was what I found was pretty cool, and we don't see that all that often. Is um, Mark Spector going undercover as well? So you mentioned Connor being like a really like a spy. Um, spy drama or a, um, a spy magazine and you have Mark with his mercenary training um, going undercover and pretending to be employed by uh, Alphonse Leroux to kind of get in with the uh, with the terrorists stealing the plutonium um, so yeah I, I know I just I just like that idea of, of um, you know a bit of uh, covert um, covert methods by Moon Knight that was pretty good. Yeah, and uh, once we sort of crack into the um, actual Moan to Run, we'll see more of like a Mark Spector getting to do things, which is probably one of the biggest things that's almost been thrown aside the past past years on Moon Knight. Oh, yeah. Most the, the biggest thing that hasn't been kind to was actually Mark Spector. Mm. Well, yeah, he had, he had a whole series for himself, Mark Spector, you know, dot, dot, Moon Knight. Um and again, we've mentioned this before as well. Like, um, and Chuck Dixon has confirmed that um, the editors at Marvel wanted that run um, to be um, to, to basically ignore the multiple identities and just concentrate on on Mark's um, mercenary days, which was quite interesting. But um, yeah, to me, he's always the to me he's kind of like the main identity. As opposed to, I know Marlene likes Stephen Grant, and you know we do like our Jake Lockley as well. But he does seem to be the the core identity, Mark Spector. So, um, yeah, it was good to see him, uh, you know, in the spotlight on this issue. Well, actually, all yeah, so sorry, actually, all the identities were kind of used well. Yeah, actually, used rather well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, look, apart from that, the other notes as well, uh, it says Munch really enjoys pitting Moon Knight against just a room full of thugs. And so we see it yet again. Um, and so I'm just thinking, apart from, so far, apart from him battling Jack Russell, the werewolf, um, Moon Knight pretty much just fights, um, just street, street criminals. Uh, and no one of, you know, we haven't seen Black Spectre yet. Um, or anyone like that. Um, I guess the defenders. He he fought the Zodiac, which was was a bit of fun. But in his own like in his own self contained stories, he generally just fights against um, you know normal people, normal criminals. Yeah, like I said, I think this was really Moach finally getting to leave his mark on the character. Mm. You know, it, we really do see the setup like unlike anything we got before, even the first Marvel fanfare and then we had um, the Defenders run, you know, people trying to give a, a lot more basic take but I think there's a real focus on the identities with his side uh, his side cast that would all be, you know, rather 
influential in the run. So, you know, this is finally the, the creator trying to do something compared to, you know, Marvel trying to just push it onto others to make it popular. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, having said that, Connor, I think um, I think we should close the book on this one and give our Crescent Art ratings um, for this one, The Hulk. Actually, let me just... Is this is this called... This is called The Hulk with an exclamation mark, right? It's not The Hulk or The Rampaging Hulk or anything like that. No, it's just The Hulk. The Hulk. Yeah, The Hulk. Super Colour Magazine. For this one, Connor, The Hulk with a backup story, the big blackmail, uh, what would you give this uh, Moon Knight story? I would probably give it a solid three. I think it's probably one of the stronger pieces in Moon Knight history, along with um, that Marvel fanfare issue we covered as one of our first podcast mm-hmm. reviews. Yes. I think this is a creator really trying to leave his mark. I think the setup, the uh, the setup here is easily one of the interesting things to trace back to Moon Knight. Um, and I think just the writing as well makes it more interesting to read than a lot of others we'd face, but. The story just kind of doesn't do a whole lot. I think if you look at it as a fun, old, po- uh, pulpy spy story, mm. with a few Moon Knight touches, you could probably enjoy this. But I hope to see a more superhero um, shenanigans in the next issue with Lupinar. Mm-hmm. But I think it's definitely pulled together with just some easy-to-read writing and some strong, um, strong art and colours as well. So, mm-hmm. strong 3 out of 10, I think. Right, three out of ten. Almost in the middle. Three out. Of- <laughs> <laughs> it was rubbish, guys. I changed my mind and like that. Screw it. It sucks. <laughs> no. Three out of three out of ten. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, um, off the back of that, uh, yeah. One of the main things I'd have to agree with is the art. I actually really enjoy the art and the colours. I'd give it a three and a half, I, only because. Oh, I think I gave too high for the previous issues, so I wanted to give this one just a little bit more. Um, so if I gave three and a half for the previous issues, I'd probably bump those down to three, and this one a three point five because I, I enjoyed this a lot more. Um, and I, I, it's not that good as to give it a four, so anyway, that's why I'm going for three and a half. Um, yeah, I, I really I enjoyed it. I thought this Munch writing was um, was was quite fluent, um, but the art was the main thing for me. Uh, the introduction of new villains is always fun. At the moment, though, there isn't too much flair with, um, I mean, aesthetics-wise, like for villains, there's no, um, you know, there's no Black Spectre or Bushman or Morpheus yet, like with distinct looks. Um, these villains still very much seem like street-level villains, so it gives such a, um, a reality, I guess, you know, bound in, you know, just street-level adventures um which is really cool uh but yeah three and a half i'd be happy happy with that um i would i would read this again i'd say um if not just to look at the art as well so yeah three and a half it is which gives us a an average of about 3.25 or something so check it out loonies the hulk volume one issue 13 okay so Connor, we are moving on to our modern run now. And as always, nice, juicy story arc here. We are returning to the Charlie Houston run of Volume 5. And um, I'll have to throw it over to to Phil again from the Capes and Lunatics podcast to give us the the bare bones for this. So uh, take it away, Phil. 
Hey everyone, Phil Parrish here from the Capes and Lunatics and Capes and Lunatics Sidekicks podcasts. Uh, I'm here today to do the bare bones synopsis, uh, this week written by Tommy Cavill. All right, this one will be Moon Knight, Volume 5, Issue 4, The Bottom, Chapter 4. Written by Charlie Houston, penciled by David Finch, inked by Danny Mickey with Alan Martinez and Victor Olazaba. Colored by Frank D'Armada, lettered by VCs Joe Caramagna, and edited by Axel Alonzo, Corey Settlemeyer, and Daniel Ketchum. He was a mercenary, a killer, and then he was a hero. Mark Spector used to jump from rooftops, spread his cape against the night, and drop to the streets below, dealing pain, dealing vengeance, all in the name of his Lord Conchu, God of Vengeance, God of the Moon. Took his Lord's name and became his knight, became Moon Knight. He was a hero. He had everything, had a life like you read about in legends, but that was years ago before he lost his friends, lost his love, lost his God, and finally lost himself. In an alley in the rain, he crossed a line he barely knew was there, killing an evil man, doing evil himself, exiling himself to the cage of a broken body. Wanting it all back, he answers a call from a friend, John Paul Frenchy Duchamp, the best friend a man ever had. But it's not Frenchy calling, it's the past. The new committee, dark sons of men who once paid his wages, men he betrayed, have set wheels in motion. Plots laid by their employee, the profile, have untimely hatched. Duchamp pays the price in blood, and Spectre takes the vengeance that is his due, not knowing that another pawn lurks. The new committee's contingency tea. Beaten at the feet of Conchu, Mark Spector weeps from his freshly scarred eye. He praises his god, thanks him for his blessings, but Mark once more. Conchu mocks Spector. Covered with the bloody mask of Bushman's skin face, the statue reveals a faceless Bushman haunting the shadows of Mark's lonely quarters. Is this Raoul? Back from the grave? The voice is there, at least. Bushman calls Mark the sorriest piece of shit he's ever seen. The action cuts to a dirty studio apartment in the city, lit with the burning red glow of the neon sign outside. The profile lies in bed with a hookup. Photos, maps, and pinned-up pentagrams adorn the wall behind his bed. He pours her a drink. He reads his mistress like a book. They're talking about Spectre. At the feet of Conchu's statue, Mark denies the Bushman avatar. He refuses to believe this is real. Spectre thinks this is the work of Morpheus. But as Bushman transforms into Peter Alrin, there's a flashback to Alrin's death at the hands of the nemesis himself. The profile, away, tells his hookup that all of us were just what our pasts make us, and Marx is nothing but trauma. People are programmed to react to phenomena in certain ways, but Mark only seems to know trauma. Mark grabs a revolver and Bushman knows what will happen next. 
Quickly, Bushman attempts to soothe Mark as he moves the revolver closer to his temple. Bushman first places his skinned face over the tearing remnants of his skull. No good. He changes forms to Crawley and then Frenchie next. No dice. Finally, Conchie takes on the form of Marlene Alrin and whispers, It's me. Mark stops, wide-eyed and tearful. He's paused. Zooming back, Bushman stands over Mark's shoulders and again whispers, It's me, my priest. This isn't Bushman. It's Conchu in the flesh. He never abandoned Mark. He would never abandon his last true son. The profile fills in the gaps. The new committee, the sons of the first committee, desire Moon Knight for their own. Filled with hate for their fathers, they plan to bring Moon Knight in and turn him into their personal assassin. For the time being, Moon Knight stands solely in the eyes of his god and light, Conchu. The profile believes that Moon Knight isn't the typical run-of-the-mill superhero. He's influenced by the supernatural. There's no telling what he's after, what he needs. Yet Mark is still programmed like anyone. Why else would a rabbi's son serve as the avatar for an Egyptian god? The profile weaves a narrative for his inquisitive mistress and offers backstory for newcomers. Rabbi Spector fled the Holocaust and has since led a highly orthodox life in Chicago. His first wife died giving birth to Mark. Father resents son. Son rejects father's god. Father rejects son. Son gives looking for love. Mark was a boxer, a soldier, a mercenary. He's good at hurting others. That's why Conchu chose him. But why did Conchu leave him? He didn't. Conchu has always cared for Mark. He has always raised him up. Does Mark doubt his god now? No. Conchu will reward Mark for his work. With glories. With everything he desires. Bushman Conchu fades away. From the doorway, Marlene enters. With derision in her voice, she screams at Mark, angry that Mark has broke Frenchie's attacker. But Mark's standing, he tells her, I'm standing. What does she care? Frenchie is hospitalized. It must be Mark's fault. He denies it, but Marlene makes him rethink. What's the connection? Just as Marlene realizes that Mark has uncovered the statue of Ponchu, the window breaks. Taskmaster soars through the shrapnel of glass, sword, and shield at the ready. Marlene, in her rage, leaps at Taskmaster. Mark darts a blade toward the intruder, but Taskmaster smacks Marlene with the cross guard of his bro- blade. She falls, but Taskmaster is impressed. The two have fighting chemistry. Regardless, Taskmaster is here with purpose. He has a contract, and he's fixing to get paid. The gig kills Spectre. Taskmaster pins Mark to the floor and with his own crescent darts and stands over Mark's broken body, readying the kill. Yes, great. Thanks again, Phil. That was, that was yeah, really well done. Um, and we hats off to to our man on the streets, Tommy. He's uh, written another beauty of a of a bare bones for us there. So, not only do we get the story of issue four, but Tommy's also done a really good recap of, um, yeah, of uh, of everything leading up to that issue. Uh, yeah. Not even I just link it again, but. It's really worth checking out um, Phil's uh, article on Moon Knight, the Conchu conspiracy as well. Oh, yes. You know, Phil obviously has a lot of love for this character, and I think he blended it all to his vocal work. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, it was very cool to have Phil on, and um, yeah, for sure, check out Phil's blog. Um, it's really good, really insightful as well. So, Connor, this is our modern run, a, uh, needless to say, a very dark issue again, um, very much so compared yeah. to the previous issue. Uh, yeah, um, first thoughts? 
Oh, yeah, I was really sad I um, missed out on the uh, last issue. Just once again, I find this um, even more than the hyper-violence of this, of, uh, this series. I think the um, real deconstruction and, you know, um, criticism of Mark Spector in, um, in this run has been so interesting. I think we see that continue in this that just leads to such fantastic dialogue and with this really, you know, really, yeah, just this atmosphere of just nothing going right and just seeing Mark Spector for who he truly is and using the profile for um, just really fantastic introspection on all yes. the characters in this, you know, really grimy world just gives the, um, just the world of Moon Knight such an interesting and different oh, take. Most certainly. I think Houston uses a profile so well here to really psychoanalyze uh, Mark and, and to, to show to the reader um, a greater understanding of, of how the profile you know sees, sees and understands people. So I think that was a really great tool um, from Charlie Houston to use in the, in the profile. Um, and yeah, as you're saying, kind of, it's, it's very dark, and uh, we get stuff like not only the, the graphic, um, you know, horror of of seeing Bushman, you know, with without his face, but stuff like uh, Mark putting a gun to his temple, you know, um, and mm. him wanting to take his own life. This is very, very dark, very grim kind of. Um, this is a very grim corner of the Marvel universe, uh, and so yeah, we're kind of taken down there. Um, but as Tommy. Uh, writes in his narration as well we're getting the seedy underbelly with a you know neon lights coming in through a dingy studio apartment and it just it really does cap off um the i guess the the feeling that you get when you read this houston run so um you're really really good yeah so i'll let you uh, kick off with one of your points first actually this time yeah yeah, sure. I, I think the first one, um, and it's the, I guess, the obvious one um, within the first couple of pages, um, we see Bushman, basically, without his face, come to haunt Mark. But what it is is that, um, obviously, as we read further on, uh, we later understand that um, it's Conchu, right? But um, But before Mark knows that, he feels like, obviously... You know various things. One, he's he's going crazy. He's starting to see people that he's killed. Two, um, you know, he, he's probably suffering, maybe suffering guilt from from killing Bushman that way. Um, and you know, he has he has fallen to such depths that he, to the point where he's about to to kill himself, basically. And uh, Bushman slash Conchu has to kind of, you know, after after pretending to be. Um, you know, Crawley, Peter O'Rain, uh, Frenchie and Marlene, just as about, uh, just when Mark is about to kill himself, he has to reveal himself as Conchu. And that kind of gives Mark, um, I guess, faith again, because he's been searching for Conchu uh, for so, for, you know, most recently, I'd say. Mm. I think, yeah, there's a, this is the start of a, the real terrifying image of a, uh, of, the Bushman Conchu analogy. Mm, um, yes. Just, you know, I think just this look at faith is just, you know, so, so interesting, but also so critical. We see Conchu return, but what that actually means for Mark is just, you know, something so much else. I think never more than possibly this run has Conchu been criticized more as a force of just pure violence and seeing, mm. you know, a true reflection of Mark. I think, um, yes, 
I think I might even just sort of include my point here as well because I think we can just so easily file into you know how we see Mark in this issue I think you know a big thing about this issue both thematically and sort of in the thing with Conchu is learning to stand again Mark brings up you know just how quickly mm. he can stand again now and how he's had his faith restored and all that but you know there's this real dynamic of just what Conchu has meant to Mark is just you know basically destroyed the rest of his life you know mm. what Marlene points out that Conchu is the reason you know he claims that Conchu is the reasoning is sent up now but Marlene's just sort of immediately destroyed that idea of you know faith and the fact that Mark had basically quit he'd been able to do this for so long but yeah the abs the the reveal of Conchu again is the only reason he can do it which you know um Houston positions is just you know Mark's own inner demons at wanting to sort of hurt people again and what the profile definitely brings up is um Mark wanting to you know very much just hurt again it's this violence that has ruined his life but also now has basically just finally been reflected to himself as in you know the whole title of this a mirror so, mm-hmm. you know just shows the the flaws in Conchu and the flaws of Mark and you know just because he's got Conchu back doesn't mean Mark is any closer to being restored no. and possibly that Mark needs to change the way he sees Conchu if he ever hopes to to continue which is something you know you'd see Lemire bring up later, Bemis is um, most recently included, like the power of crazy, so mm-hmm. to speak. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's... There's um, a lot going on. Oh, for sure. And it's this dependency that Mark has for Conchu, which is, it's almost as if Conchu's like a drug, right? It's, um, Mark relies so much on Conchu, like, to, to give him strength. And when you say as well, Connor, when Marlene enters the picture... And she says, you know, you could always stand. You just didn't believe it. And she says, you're a quitter. Like, the moment it got hard, you just quit, right? But that's because I think, because um, for Mark's, in Mark's um, point of view, it's because Conchie has, has deserted him. So he kind of has lost that that strength and he depends on Conchie to, to give him that extra push, I guess, to, act- to actually, you know, push through you know, with being Moon Knight or to, to push through difficulties. He relies on Conchu and you see it so much here, like when the Bushman visage finally says, look, oh, it's me, my priest, and Mark realises that Bushman is actually Conchu. The first thing he says is, why did you leave me? You know, he's, he's very much, um, he's very much like uh, connected to Conchu in that sense. And uh, yeah, almost kind of like addicted to, to having Conchu um, with him all the time. So uh, again, and then that also stretches out into and what the profile later talks about Mark as well, about Mark's programming, and this is what the profile sees, and uh, it goes into his origin with his dad, the rabbi, and um, and this whole I guess it's the whole thing of of um, of being accepted accepted by his father. Because um, he does refer to Conchu um, as my, I think he refers to him as my father, or Conchu always refers to him as my son. So, you know, there are some um, parallels there as well between Mark and Conchu and Mark and his father. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, uh, really difficult thing, um, and it shows that 
Mark definitely has a long way to go before he's healed. And as you say, Connor, he'd probably have to rethink his relationship with Conchu if he wants to make both his life as a superhero and life with his friends work. Because Marlene is just like, she's just livid with him. Um, and in one of my notes here, I think it's <laughs> I had to smirk to myself as well. Like, you know, remember we were really shocked when Mark struck Marlene? Um, you know, punched her in the face. Well, she gets her own here, and like she punches him and draws blood <laughs> um, to Mark to like make him realize, trying to make him snap out of it, that you know he can do this himself. Like you know, he he shouldn't be a quitter and he shouldn't rely on Conchu so much. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, very uh, very powerful stuff in this issue. Yeah. Um, uh, look, I, I'll just go. I'll go with my second one because yeah, I think actually, since yeah. I don't know what kind of happened to aspects there, they were kind of inter- yeah. intertwined. Yeah, we sort of covered the same sort of great part of this issue. Exactly, and your your last one to, is a nice one to finish on. So, um, look, my second aspect was again another big big part of this issue, and it was uh, basically the profile and his psychological study of Mark Spector. So. As mentioned before, I really love how Houston uh, interweaves the profile uh, and his narrative um, in through the story as well of when we see Mark um, dealing with Conchu. And, uh, yeah, I really do like how um, how the profile, you know, uses... He has this chat with um, this hookup that he has uh, to kind of explain how, how he works and um, and it actually helps to explain the committee as well, um, but most importantly to explain where Mark's coming from and uh, and by explaining, you know, his past with his dad, um, his dad kind of like them being estranged um, and Mark's tendency towards violence. Uh, it was a really good way to... Um, Again, a, a different sort of way to what we saw in Munch's um, origin retelling in the Hulk magazine that we just reviewed. Uh, a different way to kind of expose a bit more of Mark's origins. Yeah, I think as well, the profile is just such an interesting way at, at basically deconstructing this whole entire world. I think it's really almost the author placing himself within the story, almost mm-hmm. as like a guide to the world, because I think... Houston is a you know fairly prolific crime writer, I believe, with his own novels. Um, and just here, when he's taken the world of Moon Knight, I think he's really brought that sensibility and sort of his own intelligent writing and the way he's used to deconstruct is basically formed in the character of the profile. Mm. And just he's just such an interesting character to listen to. And I think him dissecting Mark Spector oh, and yeah. the world itself just brings it so naturally without the need for dialogue and just makes it uh, not dialogue obviously or without the need for exposition and just makes it so much more enjoyable to be taken on this ride and then see it so explicitly with the Concho and Mark interactions and the Mark and Marlene interactions you know it's just Mm. it's just such a brilliant way at deconstructing you know such a you know such a specific anti-hero like Moon Knight that just could have been done so poorly but it's just done so excellently and I think seeing it happen to the villains as well and knowing the profile also in his own way is almost a villain. It's just yes. incredible. Yeah, and, and um, look, I'll go into a few of the notes I've got here as well on the on the profile, but what I love about um, how Houston writes a profile on this issue as well is um, how you get, a, you get more of a, a backstory to him, like indirectly. So we have um, this dialogue between him and his hookup 
and uh, she mentions something about, oh, she doesn't like mutants. And then he has this little comment of, oh, you know, you could have fooled me. Um, so that alludes to the fact that he might be a mutant himself. So as a reader, you kind of start to form a picture of the profile. So we know now that he's most likely a mutant. Um, also, there's a mention, profile mentions about profiling just everyone in general. Mutants are quite easy to profile, um, you know, uh, superhumans or chemically enhanced people uh, are pretty pretty easy to read, but supernaturals are difficult to profile because they seem to be a bit more unpredictable, and that's where Moon Knight and Conchu falls in. Um, but the hookup asks the profile, um, "Do you believe that Conchu, this Conchu is a god?" And the profile says, "Look, you know, I couldn't really be asked. Um, I don't care, but I, I do know that it's a, a supernatural." entity so you know whether it's a god or not he doesn't know but he just knows that it's hard to hard to assess um these sorts of beings once they interact with mark specter or moon knight uh and finally as well there's just a nice little nice little reference i think um and it harks back to the title of the um the issue which is interest in a mirror um the hookup again asks the profile if he's got a mirror so she can look at herself and and he says, you know, do you really think that I would keep a mirror like of all the things I've told you? And that's a really nice, cool way of saying, you know, um, if the profile looked at himself in the mirror, he would immediately profile himself. And I think he's not that keen to see what he would uh, he would uncover if he did look at himself. So I do like those little points towards the profile. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty strong, uh, pretty strong character. So um, yeah, yeah. But uh, something. Sorry, I was just going to say a character we definitely don't see disappear anytime soon as well. Yeah, yeah. He's going to oh, make some great stuff in the later issues. That we'll be oh covering. yeah, for sure. And I'm hoping that he comes back. I can't remember where he ended up, um, but I really do hope he comes back soon. Maybe hopefully Bemis will pluck him, pluck him out of obscurity and and put him in a a, a series as well. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I suppose my last point is uh, actually wait how much is the profile almost done after this has he done much I can't even remember his fate this... uh, I can't remember after this but I do know he's in Shadowland um, and from there I I kind of lost track of him okay. so yeah I don't know whether he turns up uh, anywhere else the Bendis run maybe I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Um, check. Loonies, please yeah. write in. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> we could have more men on the street working hard to search down the uh, true, uh, true location of the profile at this very moment. He's probably yeah. dead or obscure or both. Yeah, hope he's not dead. But then again, comics. If you're dead, you're yeah. not dead, really, are you? <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh yeah. My final. Uh, my um. Next point is just a final, quick one that uh, we see in the last. Last few pages. Yeah. Um, oh, it's a biggie. With... Yeah, just sort of Taskmaster getting dropped in mm. as we see him become the villain for the next issue and sort of at the end of here. And I just want to make a quick mention that he's wonderful. He is scary and terrifying to look at. Yes. And his own sort of quirky, violent, deranged sense of humor is just, you know, such a contrast to all the like crazy violence we've seen while also so fitting in with Houston's you know, look at this grimy, crime-filled world. Yeah. It's just it's, fun. Just terribly fun in it. It is fun. dark comic. Yeah, it's fun, and it, and it does kind of throw you off a bit, I think, because, as you say, 
he still looks terrifying, um, drawn by David Finch uh, as this, you know, uh, hulking, scary-looking assassin. But, yeah, you're right. He He's so quirky as well. It, um, it kind of throws you off, I guess, in the same way that Spider-Man would throw you off with all his quips. Um, he's really cool to see. And um, just going on from, I guess, my previous comments, this is the sort of thing that I'd love, you know... Um, you know, I like Moon Knight beating up on a lot of um, street-level thugs, but to have him go up against a a notified villain as well is, is pretty fun to see. So we only get a, a sense of it here. Um, but yeah, Taskmaster's just brilliant, isn't he? And I, I love how Marlene jumps into action as well. Like, she's such a pro with Mark Spector. And uh, and Taskmaster calls her out on it, you know, saying, oh, you guys obviously have fought together before, you know what to do. But he's right on top of them. Like, you know, with his photographic um, reflexes, he's just uh, he's just your epitome of a, of a you know, the ultimate assassin. I think... Uh... We know we've got a listener, and, uh, you know, um, Bare Bones, uh, yeah. uh, Sparky <laughs> Malarkey, who's a big fan of Taskmaster. I can yeah. see why. I love him. I loved him in Secret Empire as well, and I think he totally is just such a fine addition to anything with his own sort of crazy sensibilities. Oh, for sure. I'm going to have to track down that, um, that Taskmaster miniseries, I think, that Sparky yeah. was talking about. I never read be... that at all. Mm, be really interesting to because he is an interesting character. I'm sure he's got a lot of um, skeletons in the closet, so to speak, to 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 deal with. But uh, yeah, it's um, really good to see him towards the end, and uh, he has um, he has Mark in a precarious position at the end. So um, nice little cliffhanger there from from Charlie Houston. Um, Right, before we go into any of the uh, the Crescent Art ratings for this, Connor, the very dark issue of issue number four, uh, just a couple of notes, I guess. Um, look, uh, a couple of things I picked up. Um, there's that visage of Peter Orain, which is uh, Marlene's dad, which Conchu um, conjures up as himself. And again, we see a different method of how he dies. We have uh, a vision of uh, the knife at the back of his neck, so, so far we've seen him, um, his throat ripped out by Bushman's teeth, I think, which is in the 1980s run. Uh, we've seen in the Lemire run, I think he gets stabbed in the, in the chest or the stomach. And, uh, and in this uh, iteration, he apparently gets stabbed at the back of the neck. So um, maybe this Connor is the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the unreliable narrate, uh, narrative from someone. You know, maybe it's Mark just um, having different versions of, of how, how it actually happened in his head. Yeah, and definitely um, with just sort of how unreliable Mark's head is and with the profile profiling him, you know, it, yeah, it possibly could chalk up to that because, you know, we also see a, a far different version of uh, Mark's father and his child as well as what Lemire would do later on with him, you know. Yeah, being kicked out and resented, you know, we definitely saw part of that resentment, but for the most part, he sort of, he was almost looked down upon, doesn't seem to be as sort of, you know, sad or, you know, put, just sort of as this was, because, you know, in the Lemire run, he, he sort of ended up as a young man in um, psychiatric care, mm. being looked after, then sort of what happened with uh, Mark's father in this, but yeah, so... I mean, we can always talk that up to the unreliable narrator, but it was interesting to see it as the uh, 
I guess what probably would have been the um, main origin for him at the time then when it came to his childhood until mm. Lemire came along and now Venus. That's true, yeah. So we'll get another version of that coming up very shortly in a, in a few weeks, I guess. Um, look, the other thing as well, I thought it was just a little little pointed out to um, the Bushman's pouches. I think they're very much uh, <laughs> maybe a callback to the 90s there, a bit of Liefeld. Uh, he's got numerous pouches. <laughs> um, and uh, the other notes I've covered about the profile and just, yeah, about how Marlene punches Mark at the end, which was, uh, I don't know, it's a level of... Uh, Satisfaction there of like you know kind of yeah. wake up Mark get back at him for get yourself yeah exactly and she she packs a wallop as well she you know manages to draw blood from him so um, good on you Marlene <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah Connor so I guess um, wrapping well actually we haven't wrapped up this arc just yet but we're getting there but uh, how about part four interest in a mirror um, what would you give this Crescent Dart I rating? think I would give this a strong four and a half. Crescent Darts out of five. Not Fantastic. 10. Out of five, I think it's just incredible writing. I love the look at Faith, the look at Mark as a character, the look at violence in this world, and just the profile giving such psychoanalysis. I think his brilliant writing, just the way we see this world, the way we see it constructed, deconstructed, just mm-hmm. incredibly well done by Houston. Um, the interactions between... Um, Mark and Conchu and Mark and Marlene are just, mm. you know, just do so much with the state of the character before we and set up so many changes happening. It's just, it's just brilliant character work, so in depth, so realised, easy yeah. four and a half. Yeah, I would give it a, a solid four and a half as well. It's right up there, I think, with the, a lot of the Lemire issues. Um, yeah, uh, exactly as you say, Connor. Basically, it's, it's really. I think the strength of this issue lies in um, the thread told by the profile. I think that's a backbone of this issue. And from that, you get, although it's opened up with, you get um, Mark and and Bushman slash Conchu discussing themselves. And from that as well, so put that all together, you get that psychology of of the character of Mark and what he goes through. Um, I think it was very cleverly done by Houston. And um, again, I'm a big fan of the art as well. Uh, very dark, very graphic. Um, but also, yeah, it still found time to, to have Marlene come in there and actually give him a bit of a wake-up call as well, kind of ground him a bit more. And on top of that as well, just in the last two pages, you have what we ended up from the previous issue. You have um, Taskmaster coming in and adding that kind of action value and cliffhanger element to the end. So, yeah, very strong issue. Four and a half, I think, out of five there. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next part. Agreed, yeah. I hope um, hope we might even, yeah, hopefully um, try to get some others on as well to discuss this arc because I think there's just so many, so much to pull apart here, so much to discuss. I think, you know, I almost want to get writing. I think there's an interesting almost connection between this here and Beamus's idea of the power of the crazy in his latest arc. I mm. think that actually kind of ties nicely into this uh, yeah, Houston's view of the character, which I'd love to discuss in some way. But yeah, just yeah. such a strong run. You know, everyone knows that. We always talk about it, but it really is just yeah. absolutely grimy yeah. and wonderful. Oh, yeah, it's a cracker. Definitely. Um, well, that wraps up the modern run there, Connor. Um, so two issues again uh, in the can there for reviews. We forge ahead. Uh, yeah, looking forward to to what lies ahead. And um, 
And what would that be, possibly, next phase? Next phase, we are looking at the, uh, at the finale of our coverage of the Damnation Tide event, but not quite the end of Damnation itself. We are, will be covering Ben Riley Scarlet Spider, issue 18, which is part 12 of the Damnation Epic Podcast crossover super <laughs> deluxe mega <laughs> event between yeah. ourselves, Inner Demons, uh, uh, Ghost Rider, the Ghost Rider podcast, uh, Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Lion Fist podcast, and Defenders TV podcast. So hopefully you've been with us long enough to check those guys out. If not, we've always got links to them around our site. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and speaking of, we'll have uh, part 10 of the Damnation review will be Iron Fist uh, issue 79 review by the Sons of the Dragon podcast, mm-hmm. which will probably be coming out around the same time as we record our next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as the Defenders TV podcast doing part 11, the event with Doctor Strange 388. So there's so much content to get yourself hooked into if you're enjoying this Damnation event. Yeah, there's um so much there's so much happening at the moment. So uh, unfortunately, our classic and modern runs um, aren't as fluent, um, but that's a good thing. You know, we have this Damnation event to cover. There's so much Mooney happening at the moment, and then we've got the modern run, oh, the the current run coming out as well. Um, so there's a lot to cover. We're we're enjoying it all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it won't be long before we um, we return to our classic and modern runs as well. But uh, as Connor says, yep, damn, it's all about damnation next episode. So uh, please be sure to to keep uh, an eye out on that event and to keep track with all the issues. It should be fun. Uh, also, as a spectacle, uh, look, I'd like to shout out, and this is more for locals um, around Sydney, so any Sydney loonies out there, as a shout out to Natasha, and she's an organiser of, uh, there's a Facebook page called Northern Sydney Comic, Comic Swap Meet, um, and she has started this event, it's going to be, um, the very first event will be held on Sunday the 29th of April from 11 to 3pm, and it's held at the Hornsby Odeon Cinema. And uh, just speaking with Natasha online as well, she she just wants to um, she wants to make this a a quarterly thing, which I think is a great idea. And uh, just to you know see all the like minded comic collectors um, in and around the area, and just you know a meet and greet. And uh, you know you never know who you might meet or uh, what you might find in this comic swap meet. So it's um, all about um, trading. You know, if you vendors, if you want to trade. Um, you know your collections uh yeah you just uh be good it'd be good to just um it's a great idea by natasha so i just wanted to give her a shout out there uh let me just have a quick look at the information there so if you are if you want to be a vendor it will cost you 18 dollars, and um just contact natasha on the northern sydney comic swap meet um, page uh, and for people who will uh, who want to go to the event as well it's just a gold coin donation for entry um, so, yep, not much to, to ask for there, but you could find yourself that issue that you've been looking for for, for years. Uh, they also, yeah, I'm also so sad we don't have... Oh. Yeah, sorry? Oh, so sad I don't have anything like this near me. Uh, yeah, you never know. Like, it, all, all it takes is one person with, uh, you know, with the want for something, and, you know, we're lucky enough to have Natasha um, to do it. Uh, yeah, and, um, well, who knows? Maybe this will, will urge on others to do something similar. Uh, 
Finally, as well, just Natasha says that there are there's going to be prizes as well. So there'll be a prize for the lucky for a lucky vendor, um, courtesy of Odeon Cinemas and Disney. They'll be giving away a nine foot Black Panther banner poster. So if you're up for one of them, um, why not consider being a vendor? That should be very good. Uh, Natasha's not finished there. She's also organised on the 24th of April. That's a Tuesday night, 7 to 9 p.m. There's a Marvel trivia night, at, again, at the Hornsby Odeon Cinema. And um, it will be MCU-themed trivia. Um, there will be... It's an $8 uh, entry fee, free M&Ms, Skittles and soft drinks, uh, and there's uh, chances to win a whole lot of prizes. Um, so grab your tickets. Again, I think you can find that through this, the Northern Sydney Comic Swap Meet. So that's a bit of fun, Connor, actually. I, um, I've actually gotten in touch with uh, David Finn from, um, from Signal of Doom and Stuart, um, his co-host as well. They are around the area, and uh, we may well be forming a trivia team for that night, um, which will be interesting. So I'll have to let you know how that goes. Hell yeah. Once again, <laughs> very jealous. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think that about wraps it up, Connor. Um, We've just got uh, just an outro, I guess, of where to find us. Um, do you mind uh, giving that a shout out? Uh, where to find us? Of course, you can find us uh, with our own website. In, uh, yeah, into the night podcast wordpress.com. We have all our updates, episodes, all our links, everything uh, put in a nice one little spot. Uh, if you want to contact us. You can get us at gmail, moonnightpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're uh, Twitter at ITK Moonlight. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash ITK Moonlight. We have a fantastic group. Always conversation about uh, Moonlight going on with plenty of people you've heard on the show coming from where we've met in there at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash into the night. If you want to listen to the other episodes, if you're finding this somehow and don't know where else to find this, you can watch us on you uh get us on youtube all good podcast catches soundcloud uh spotify spotify libsyn all -hmm. that great stuff we're also on instagram and tumblr just search into the night a moon night podcast and we should be there hopefully cool cool yes well i think that about wraps us up for this episode connor it's been an absolute pleasure again um been great to get through these these issues um they're so different, aren't they? But uh, they both yield some really good things about Moon Knight. I, um... Yeah, I hope there's enough uh, talk about two interesting issues to discuss. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with something uh, decidedly un-Moon Knighty. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, having said that as well, please take care, everyone. Thanks once again for listening. And uh, as we always say, may Conchu watch over the denizens of the night. Catch you later. Oi. Moon Knight and affiliated characters, stories and events are properties of Marvel Characters Incorporated. Materials used and discussed within the podcast are intended for critique and review purposes only under the fair dealing concept of the current Copyright Act. The views, information or opinions expressed during the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the copyright owners.